everyone. Welcome to episode 30 of No Such Thing as a Fish. Uh, we recorded a live podcast last night, our first live podcast, and we've decided to put it out tonight for some reason, and basically unedited, so it's pretty long. But yeah, hope you enjoy it. We really enjoyed it so much, in fact, that we are going to do another live podcast Tickets are going to go on sale for that on Monday. Tickets will be available at chortle.co.uk or at nosuchthingsafish.com. It's going to be in Camden, London, so keep an eye out for that. And hope you enjoy this one. We ran it on QI a few years ago. Yeah. Um, which was, there's no such thing as a fish. Yeah, there's no such thing as a fish. No, seriously, it's in the Oxford Dictionary of Underwater Life. It says it right there, first paragraph, no such thing as a fish. <laughs> Hello, welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you this week from the Aces and Eight Bar in Tupnell Park. This is our first ever live recording. My name is Dan Schreiber. Please welcome to the stage the three regular elves, Andy Murray, Anna Chazinski, and James Horkin. And once again, we have gathered round with our four favorite facts from the last seven days, and in no particular order, here we go. Fact number one, and beginning with you, James. Okay, my fact this week is that the first BBC radio presenter with a northern accent was given the job to make it more difficult for the Nazis to impersonate newsreaders. <laughs> <laughs> so why were the Nazis impersonating newsreaders? Uh, it was, they thought that if they could pretend to be newsreaders over the radio, then people would believe anything they said and they'd be able to say, oh, we've got such a strong army and people would just believe it. So they like raid the BBC? It was just propaganda, really. They would pretend to be BBC newsreaders. Okay. Uh, and more, so more whore and people like that. But yeah, yeah. It's also why we've got James on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Is James a Nazi? No, but no. <laughs> Um, no, this was a guy called Wilfred Pickles. Um, he was the first Northern newsreader from um, 1941. He was from Yorkshire. Uh, and a lot of people didn't believe the news when he read it out because he had a Northern <laughs> accent, apparently. What did they think? They thought that's a Nazi trying to do a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know what they thought, really. They just, they just thought, this guy is you know, uneducated, he can't possibly know what the news is. That's what they, I read this thing about in the early days of news reporting, particularly on radio, that they never, uh, it was all male presenters, and they oh, yeah. said that they wouldn't allow female presenters on because they didn't want them to have to go through reading bad news, like upsetting news <laughs> stories. Wow. Yeah, they just thought, oh, they're not going to like that. That would be, <laughs> it's too emotional. And they, it's true, they, it's, it's a BBC thing where they announce that. They said, well, we're not going to allow women yeah. to do that. They'll be too upset when they hear this bad news. No, wow. it's terrible, right? They they did have one in 1933, the first female uh, newsreader. She was called Mrs. Giles Borrett. <laughs> I don't know what her real first name was. It doesn't seem to come have up anywhere. Have you seen a picture Mrs. of her? Mrs. Giles Borrett. Yeah, as in named after her husband. We were so. assholes to women back in the day, weren't we? <laughs> we still are, but like, I mean, doubly so. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, there were complaints. She was there for two months, and the BBC took her off the air for technical reasons. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Technically, Jesus. her gender is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Um, did you know that all newsreaders were originally uh, anonymous? No. So they didn't give their names on air. It was just the voice of the BBC News. And so we have the Nazis to thank for named newsreaders because during the war, people said that they should be able to listen and kind of authenticate who they were listening to. So the first one was Frank Phillips, and he said, in July 1940, Battle of Britain time, 
this is Frank Phillips from the BBC, so that, again, you couldn't be impersonated. But that was, So today we might have Hugh Edwards just being a man on a screen. Wow. <laughs> with some That's kind of what he features. is to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't that weird, though, that none of them identified themselves? Um, do you guys know about the very first ever uh, BBC news report on the radio? No. 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 Okay, it's great. Uh, it basically was on the 14th of November, and I forgot to look up the date. Uh, <laughs> but it's on the 14th of November, so we're coming up to the anniversary. Very exciting. Um, <laughs> Uh, and um, basically, he uh, he read out the news. Uh, it was a guy called Arthur Burroughs, and he read it out, um, but he read it twice, once quickly, and then once slowly, and then asked the listeners, which did you prefer? Wow. <laughs> Just for future recordings to wow. know which way they go. And then which did they go with? I, they, I, it's not been recorded. Uh, I, I don't know the answer. So I'm we don't know slower. if now we have quick news or slow news. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I have no, <laughs> no idea. idea. Also, it was really weird because when they started doing the news, they did it post 7 p.m. And Lord Reith joined. So Lord Reith, if you, if you don't know his name, he's the guy who in the BBC, they have a big kind of saying, which is uh, to entertain, inform and educate. That's the Lord Reith philosophy for BBC that everyone's tried to stick to. He joined a week after the very first uh, broadcast of a radio um, announcement telling the news on the BBC. And he had this thing where he said, we don't want anyone to be doing news bulletins before 6pm because the newspapers will be hurt as a result of it. And so oh, no yeah. one was allowed to do anything uh, in terms of announcing any news to the point that when they showed uh, horse racing on the, sorry, when they played horse rating on the, on the news, they couldn't have commentators commentating on the horse race. <laughs> so you listen to hooves and people <laughs> cheering at like 4 p.m. And then at 7 p.m. they go and Blitzer won. <laughs> <laughs> they would wait till the seven o'clock news was to there, announce. Was, was there a pause in between the end yeah, of the hooves? I think so. <laughs> and Blitzer won. Yeah. So you were speaking of radio though. Do you know what they did in 1955 when uh, ITV started? I think it was 1955, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and what the BBC did to try and jeopardize ITV's chances. No. They didn't, it wasn't actually on TV because radio was a more popular medium at that time. They killed off Grace Archer in the gasp. archers gasp 20 million people tuned in the population oh. of britain was 40 million at the time half wow. the country tuned in to listen to grace get killed wow. off in the archers the um, the, the archers fans really hate you don't they dan not well yeah <laughs> I, we make i so outside anyone who listens to this podcast uh, might know that um we also the four of us uh, work for qi and one of the qi things is a radio show called museum of curiosity and Museum of Curiosity is played at 6.30 every evening on a Monday, and Archers follows immediately, and we get the shit ripped out of us by the Archers fans. They hate us. And they just, they don't even, they just, they say how much they hate us, and then they do hashtag the Archers. And so everyone Why, is, Why do they hate you? They, just cast, they catch the last five minutes of Museum of Curiosity, uh, right. and yeah. we're usually talking about pubic lice or something yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> and this it doesn't come up on the Archers, apparently. No, no it doesn't. There was, a great, there was a fantastic one this week, though. There was someone who actually tweeted, what is this garbage? I absolutely hate it. Hashtag the Archers. Someone wrote back going, I know this program sucks. They should cancel it. The Archers is terrible. Yeah. And they were like, no, no, no. I, oh. <laughs> Lovely right. confusion. I have a fact about Lord Reith. Oh well, yeah, jo John Reith, as he was then. Um, when he applied for the post of general manager of the British Broadcasting Company, he did not know what broadcasting was, <laughs> and he wrote in his diary that when he was called to an interview, he quotes still hadn't the remotest idea as to what broadcasting was. I hadn't troubled to find out, <laughs> and they gave him the job. 
Things are really different. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, when so, do you know where remote controls were first? What was the main attraction of them? How they were marketed? Remote controls. What for uh, TV? Yeah. Is that what we're calling them? You don't them? have to get up and walk over to the thing, presumably. It is that, but their main strategy in the marketing was it was after ITV came about and adverts came about, and remote controls were just volume controls, and they looked like one of those rotary phones. So they were like a, a dial, which you just dialed up or down, and it was so you could mute the adverts. So adverts came onto oh, TV really? and immediately. They marketed oh. something that could make them shut. There was one really early. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there was one really early remote control that was done by light. Um, the problem with it was that when um, the sun shone on it, it would turn the channel over. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great. Um, I I was talking about this in the office a few days ago, and I can't verify this fact. And I really want to verify. Here anyone, we go. Anyone who knows this show, I'm known as the dubious one on this show. Um, Not just on this show. Just in life. The way I do any research for this show is to put in the fact and then put plus Yeti. That's my kind of research for this show. That's how bad I am at it. But uh, I, I read a fact in a book years ago when I first moved to England, and it was a fact that when they, doing, when they did live TV dramas, they would have a thing where, obviously, it was black and white. Everything had to be done live as they were going along. And the actors, if they forgot their lines as they were doing this play live, they would mime speaking, <laughs> and then the other actor would mime speaking back at them so that while the production were quickly trying to find cards that could show them what the next line was, the people at home were going, what the hell's wrong with the TV? Our sound's gone again! <laughs> and get up and hit it, and then by the time they remember the line, they'd be like, we should go to the shops, and then they're back into the play. But I can't prove this as a fact. So if anyone listening or anyone in this room tonight knows it, uh, please let me know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't, don't wait up for the post. <laughs> um, accents? Oh, go on. What? No, what was yours? Well, I've got some accent, go accent stuff yeah, to yeah. talk about. You know, foreign accent syndrome? Uh, oh, yeah. What's that? What's it's that? a real thing. So it's not just mad people making it up. <laughs> I kind of use, you know, when someone wakes up you and is like, terrible oh, I woke up with accent. <laughs> yeah, I would. Um, but yeah, it's a real thing. So it happens if you have a particularly bad migraine, you can get foreign accent syndrome. But it's not where you wake up with an, a specific foreign accent. It's just where you wake up with an accent that sounds kind of like a foreign accent. So there's like an interview with this woman, Julie Mathias, who just had a migraine and now speaks in this bizarre kind of Scandinavian, Indian, South African hybrid. Um, and I think it's really horrible for her. Is it, it must be tough, right? Also, Capgrass syndrome. Do you know that one? That? It's no. where you believe that uh, one of your loved ones has actually been, um, has died and been replaced by a robot or something like that. Well, that's no, a yeah, real no, syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> no, like, we, we all, all, have we all it. had it. Like that time when my dad died and was replaced by a robot. <laughs> Yeah, but that actually happened. Yeah, but for people with the syndrome, woof. Yeah, yeah. rough. <laughs> but if you Google this and look for examples of it happening, there's like one, pretty much one or two examples uh, on the BBC News. And the most famous person to have it done was called Alan Davis. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, and I always wanted to run that on QI, but thought, no, not really. Mm. It's mental Just illness. in case it's actually him. Yeah. Oh, right. No. <laughs> you went, I can't believe you're mocking um, me on QI. Do you want to hear something cool about uh, the Queen's accent? Yeah. So sure. they've done a study on her without her... Okay, they've... <laughs> They've listened to the Queen's speech from three from different decades. So they listened to loads from the 1950s, and then they listened to loads from the 1980s, and they found that she no longer speaks the Queen's English. So um, they measured loads of her sounds. Surely, by definition, what she says yeah. is the Queen's <laughs> yeah, English. That's true. 
But they, it was a study at Macquarie University in Australia, and they said that her accent has drifted a bit, so she sounds a bit um, like some younger, and I'm using their words, She lower. sounds Jamaican now. She sounds Jamaican <laughs> <laughs> They said cock- she has Cockney influences now. Really? Apparently, yeah. I mean, you can't tell. Apparently, most of the changes, it was 12 or 13 vowel sounds. She says, you get me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, we, we why can't we tell if she well, they, has it? Well, it um, machines can hear it, apparently. Computers can hear machines? <laughs> yes, my dad, my dad, yeah. Your dad, yeah. <laughs> um, but they, they, they were so happy to study her because, and th- these are the words, she hasn't lived in, lived in different communities that might alter her accent. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you reckon she got it off TV or something? I don't know, maybe. Oh. Yeah, she is a fa- she's a huge fan of... Um, I think the no Arches. Arches. of the Arches, <laughs> yeah. It's a miracle museum is still going. You should see your yeah. tweets to me. They're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, she, she didn't do a speech in 1969. There was no Queen's speech on TV. Why and the not? reason was she had already done one interview that year in the summer for a documentary. And, and so it had changed said, her accent so much <laughs> that she couldn't bear. No, she just said, that's enough. You get one, one dose of Queenie a year. And that was it for 1969. She so she did oh, wow. great. Yeah, that's great. Um, we used to speak rhotic English, didn't we? Which is how the Americans speak English. So the way Americans speak is the way that uh, is proper English, is the really? English that we were speaking in the 17th century. <laughs> uh, yeah, wait, we wait, don't wait, pronounce what? our R's, and that's wrong. And that's because spelling hasn't kept up with the way we speak. What do you mean don't pronounce our like, uh, like Oh, God, I'm not going to be able to think of any examples now. Um, like so you know if we said I've just got the word Somerset written down here so if we say Somerset they'd say Somerset Somerset although that actually just sounds like a Somerset since <laughs> 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 I'm my forte say Somerset Dan you've got a Somerset yeah exactly yeah. like Cover and Garden yeah. Cover well, yeah but there's yeah. no R in Coven well, I know. He's, he's got it wrong <laughs> This is the biggest contention. I have a messed up accent. I know I have a messed up accent. The main tweet outside of Archer's hatred towards me (laughs) that I get is people listening to our show saying, why are you saying Covent Garden? Like, I get so much shit for my accent. What about the child who listens to the podcast? Oh, there's a child who listens to our podcast. They're they're, three, four years old. Yeah, three, four years old. The godmother wrote in to us to say that, James, every time uh, you talk, my, my, my... a uh, little goddaughter, she smiles and she's so happy. Oh, how nice. Yeah. And then when Dan comes on, <laughs> she frowns and looks disappointed and stops listening. <laughs> really splitting accent. Wow. Okay, let's go back to the point in hand. Yeah. I want to speak mm-hmm. about Wilfred Pickles. So this yeah. was the guy with a northern accent who read the news. Mm. Uh, he also was the host of the first British quiz show to give away prizes. It was called Have a Go. And the jackpot was three pounds. Wow. Oh, that's, that's sweet. That's good, isn't it? Well, it was more than, I suppose, but still. Yeah. It's, sweet. it's not who wants to be a millionaire, no. is it? <laughs> <laughs> who wants to own three pounds? <laughs> <laughs> but they got an audience of 26 million. That, wow, when was yeah. that? If you think about what, uh, Breakoff got, what, 13 million last week? 12 yeah. million? This was uh, up to 1967 wow. he did it. Yeah, a lot more people used to watch. Yeah, but they didn't have Bake Off. They didn't have Bake Off back then. That's so, true. <laughs> you know, um, what was the yeah. What was the fact that you told me in the office the other day about um, the like attire and stuff when they when they were recording uh, in radio, early radio, about what they know. had to wear? I actually oh, know yes. the fact. Oh no. Okay. Just... <laughs> yes. No, I do remember Dan. Yes. In the 30s, the British newsreaders had to wear a dinner suit, even though you couldn't see them when they were reading the news on the radio. I really like that. You can yeah. tell though. You can tell with the voice yeah, exactly. when they're sitting yeah. up properly. They won't be slouching like no. I am now, <laughs> yeah. would they? Is that why? Was that their justification? Yeah, I think it gives you a better, you know, posture, a better accent. No, just you know, they're just being. Oh, 
being annoying about it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For Apparently. anyone listening, we're all wearing dinner jackets now. <laughs> <laughs> um, some animals have accents, don't they? But not all. What? And um, I'm, I'm trying yeah. to distinguish which, an- which animals do and which don't. No, so yeah, they do. So people tend to think that like hardly animal, hardly any animals have accents. Like animals, it's in their genes the way the way they speak. But then farmers in the north of England reported that I think it was I think this might have been where I just read Somerset. It was a Somerset <laughs> farmer who said that his cows had a different accent to the farmers in surrounding counties. Yeah. Um, oh it's yes, a, it's a they social do have, thing they do, they do. They moo in accents. That yeah. won a re- yes. that won an Ig Nobel Prize, didn't it? Yeah, cows. Moo in regional accents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. a very a peer-reviewed scientific paper that yeah. um and yeah. you can, you, and babies as well. Babies have regional accents. They moo in, in different accents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, babies go. French and German babies have different ways of saying ah. Um, <laughs> Neither of them sound like that. German ones go ah, and <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. And French babies go ah. <laughs> okay, there is a difference. And machines can hear it. My dad, if he was. <laughs> Um, we we should we should wrap up on our first yeah. fact. Uh, we got anything else? Anyone want to add anything? Uh, apparently, the announcers on the BBC, if they would cough during a broadcast, they would be inundated with cough, cough lozenges and woolen underwear because everyone was scared that they had a cough. <laughs> so, guys, whenever you want to start throwing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's really good. Okay. Um, oh, I have one yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, go for oh, it. Just yeah. to go, in case we don't come back onto the subject of radio for uh, lo- loads of podcasts. Um, when Woman's Hour <laughs> began in 1946, it was hosted by a man. <laughs> early early items on the show included cooking with whale meat, I married a lion tamer, and how to hang your husband's suit. <laughs> True. <laughs> Great. In fact, okay. Um, time for fact number two, uh, and that is my fact. And my fact this week is that in China, if you want to empty a building of people, a building full of people, if you want to empty it, you play this song. Don't get up and leave if you hear this. And it doesn't work, apparently. <laughs> so, uh, this is a does anyone, song... Does anyone know what that is? No one. Okay. Anyone cool. can even guess the artist. Yes. Oh, wow. nice. <laughs> oh five points. <laughs> yeah. Now, I've, this is a weird thing. No one in this country, in the UK, seems to know who Kenny G is. Kenny G is one of the biggest artists in the world and in my heart. Uh, he's <laughs> sold 75 million albums uh, worldwide. He uh, played at the inauguration of Bill Clinton. He worked on the Bodyguard soundtrack. If you watch the Grammys in the 90s, invariably at some point, Michael Bolton would rock on stage next to Kenny G and they would own it. Uh, and the interesting thing is that since the year 2000, in 1989, this song came out and it got really big. It's called Going Home by Kenny G. And for some reason, it got ado- adopted, and no one really knows why, in China as the Going Home song. So at the end Might of the day... I think because it's name. called Going Home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why did they choose it you as the Going it. Home song? <laughs> why didn't they choose Melody in B? <laughs> Wake me up before you go, go. What? <laughs> So they basically, it's a tune that just gets played everywhere. At schools, at the end of school, they play it to kids to go home. If you're on a train that's entering the final stop of its destination, the terminal, uh... They play that song everywhere in China. In a marketplace, they'll play it on loop for an hour and a half to tell you to get out. And Kenny G... People aren't really getting the hint if you have to play it for an hour and a half. (laughs) At the end of a party, presumably, you play that when you want everyone to leave. Well, because as a result of this song, he doesn't get any royalties from it, but he plays a lot of gigs in China now. He had to make sure that he put that song at the end, otherwise people (laughs) stop leaving. (laughs) 
during the gig. But this is this is an insane thing. If he I did, had get, no if idea he did get royalties, though, he would be richer than Bill Gates. If they play it for an hour and a half every day at the closing of a market. Not only that, when TV used to end at, say, like 12 a.m. or 11 p.m., whenever it is in China, up until 6 a.m. when it came back on, it would be on loop. That was the song oh that played. God. Kenny G oh is God. massive in China. I, I, have, I read a few accounts from Chinese people saying, yeah, I'm pretty sick of this song now. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it the first time I heard it, and now I really don't. So I think... Yeah. So I hadn't heard of Kenny G. Oh, no, I had heard of him. I didn't know what he was. But I think that's us being musically illiterate. I think everyone else in Britain, I think you're tarring British people with our brush what? by I saying haven't. no one's heard of Kenny G. No, no, no. No one in this room except one person, right? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. Oh, it's oh, it's okay. Yeah. Oh, well done. So the only okay. thing, so I was like, I haven't heard of this guy. I don't really listen to music that was you know, made in the last 40 years. So I just decided I'll look up something about music. Uh, I know he's kind of jazz. Let's look up a circular breathing, the longest musical note ever held lasted 45 minutes and 47 seconds and the record was set by Kenny G. Yeah. It was hey, so yeah. great. <laughs> this guy is wow. phenomenal. All I know about him. Yeah. He's... Well, I like playing golf and I looked up who's the best musician who plays golf and it's Kenny, Kenny G. G. <laughs> it He's really is. Everywhere. He's off plus 0.8. And many years ago, Kenny G woke up one morning when his uncle said, <laughs> I have a business uh, my friend is running and I think you might be interested. You should buy some stocks into it. They make coffee. And he went, I'll buy some stocks. And he now has made almost as much money off the back of the fact that he put stocks into Starbucks before it mm. launched as, as much as he's made from his 75 million albums. So should we boycott wow. him now? <laughs> <laughs> I have been doing an unconscious boycott of him all my life. I don't know who he was. Um, no, I didn't know who Kenny G was either. And I, um, I googled Kenny G is. And the first two are... Kenny G is my imaginary friend. <laughs> and Kenny G is Katy Perry's uncle. And I looked it up, and he isn't. So right. I have no idea what that's about at all. Yeah. And then I spent the rest of the afternoon Googling Katy Perry's uncle, who is even less interesting than Kenny G. <laughs> What's he do? Who is he? Uh, he's a director of movies. He's dead now. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Bit of a downer. You didn't even know him. <laughs> and in fairness, guys, he was a robot. <laughs> um. Circular breathing. There was a thing uh, in Greece called the disfigurement of Athens. And it's written about by some, some Greek writers. And apparently that was a weird facial disfigurement you would get if you did too much circular, circular breathing. Oh, really? What's that like? I don't know. I don't really know how you do it. No, how you do circular breathing. <laughs> yeah. I, read, I read about how to do it the other day. And no, I, still, I, I, it's, I can't do it. You save a little bit of air in the in the, your mouth, and then you breathe through your nose. Is it's it how people beatbox? Is that is beatbox? And it's to help you sustain notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so jazz. He's jazz, right? That's what he does. Otherwise, I've been reading about the wrong. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's jazz. Let's yeah. say he's jazz. I assume he's jazz. Anyway. He plays the saxophone. Dizzy Gillespie ran for president. Did you know that? What? Uh, <laughs> of America. In 19, of America. In 1964, <laughs> he ran a joke campaign for president. He promised to rename the White House the Blues House and appoint. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And he was going to appoint Duke Ellington as his Secretary of State and Miles Davis as head of the CIA, Aww. which would have been Miles Davis. Bloody brilliant! <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> he also, uh, Dizzy Gillespie, couldn't hit um, in since nineteen from nineteen forty nine. He was unable to hit the B flat above high C on his trumpet because he had a very very minor bicycling accident. But he got a thousand dollars, which I think was quite a lot in nineteen forty nine. Sure. Um, yeah. In compensation for it, because it damaged his art, but could well, never hit that high B flat. Yeah. 
What, wait, a minor cycling accident. Just a twisted ankle, yeah. Stopped him from Weird. being able to hit a high... Weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe he was winded or something. That's bizarre. You can sue for damaging your art. Your, your, yeah. your art? Dan, I don't think you've got a case. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> Another influential jazz person, most influential guitarist of all time. Uh, Jimi Hendrix. I was going to go with Django Reinhardt. Or maybe we're talking like jazz guitar. Oh, okay. Um, was missing the two main guitar mm. playing fingers, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So only ever did solos on two fingers. Didn't he die because oh. he refused to go to a doctor? Yes, I Does think anyone? he did. Yeah, he had a minor medical condition. And he didn't go to a doctor and then it got bad and then he died. Does anyone know? what? Can anyone remember what he had? Don't remember, no. no. Uh, just speaking of uh, Django, um, this, this is a very weird link, but it's something I was, when I was looking into all the stuff about Michael Bolt, uh, sorry, Kenny G being massive in China, it is curious when you find out about people who are big in, in other countries who aren't sort of as, like, like um, Norman Wisdom being massive in Albania. Yeah. Like, Norman Wisdom is huge still to this day in Albania. When he died, it was almost a national holiday and they just, and they have... A national holiday? National day of mourning. I, did, yeah. I think you were going to say. Yeah. Finally, Sorry. finally, the hated wisdom is removed. <laughs> <laughs> when Kenny G dies... A lot of Chinese society yeah. will celebrate not having to listen to this song anymore. That's true. That's true. Uh, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of Kenny G love You're, in yeah. the room. Um, yeah, it's, it's no, I, people so, more famous in other countries. Yeah, yeah. So I was reading about people who are more famous. The list of Americans or just uh, people, um, foreign people to China uh, being big there. It's quite, it's quite interesting. The most famous person in China is Kobe Bryant, who's a basketball player. Which I did the not expect. The most famous person in all of China. Well, I not, my theory is that it's actually Mr. Bean. Uh, which, and then <laughs> in at number three, Mao Zedong. <laughs> yeah, it's a phrase it, Dan. No, it's the most famous foreigner. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> not clear. But um, as so, the, these people are getting bigger and bigger, and as a result, um, there's a really interesting thing going on with the movie world at the moment, which is that the Chinese movie world has now overtaken Bollywood. It's taken over everything except America. They're the second largest movie makers in the world, and so as a result of these people's names getting quite big, they're getting put into movies now and being sold to China. And as a result, so the top film in China last year was Transformers, above anything in the world, right? right. They absolutely loved it, the latest Transformers yeah. movie that came out. Um, but they do this really interesting thing where they have to edit out certain bits of the movie as it exists because it turns out there's a lot of anti-Chinese government stuff in movies oh. that we don't realize. So when movies go out, suddenly there's a missing five minutes where a character has been taken out and it suddenly just doesn't make sense. Cloud Atlas, they took out 43 minutes of the movie what? when they took it to China. <laughs> that you what? can argue that it could miss 43 minutes, couldn't you? That I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. In, when The Sound of Music came out in South Korea, it was really, really popular and like cinemas were playing it four or five times a day and one cinema owner wanted to work out a way that he could play it more times a day to get more cust paying customers in, so he edited out all the songs. <laughs> That's amazing. That's that like, different. if anyone heard an episode that we did, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, Chuck Norris, when he plays his movies to his kids doesn't like the idea of his kids seeing the fight scenes in the Chuck Norris movies, so he personally edits out all the fight scenes from his movies, and his kids just watch it, and I cannot think of a worse experience yeah. than watching well, a fightless... Sound of Music without any songs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, it's just called Of. I can. <laughs> People um, must have left cinema so confused. What was with the title? Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, just just to qualify, uh, the, when I said Django, the reason I said that is Django Unchained, the Quentin Tarantino movie, yeah. went into China and it was pulled minutes from all of the cinemas when it started because it had a nude scene and they don't allow nudity in mm. movies now. Mm. That's so, not anti-China propaganda, no, 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 to be uh, fair to Django <laughs> yeah, Unchained. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just it's, uh, they have strict laws still with, with yeah. cinema. The other so. thing is that China is the biggest, as in the amount of money they take, not the number of movies they make, I think. Um, uh, yeah, because yeah, it's, cause it's Nollywood, Nollywood, Hollywood, yeah. Hollywood, yeah. Hollywood, which is Nigeria. Yeah. yeah, they do this thing as well now. So, you know, like when we watch a James Bond movie, how they take out, oh, you just see Richard Branson suddenly in it, and it's obviously a virgin ad, or it's just product placement yeah. the whole way through. They reshoot scenes with Chinese product placement. So, it, which movie was it here? Uh, it was during World War Z. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, great movie. Great film. Great movie. Um, <laughs> it is a great film. Was it World War II? I yeah, think you you, saw, you I, like Pacific Rim as your greatest I love ever movie. Pacific Rim. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Jaegers forever. All right. <laughs> I, saw, I saw an edited version of uh, World War Z because I was on a plane watching it because that's when you should watch World War Z. And they edited out uh, the bit with the enormous plane zombie scene, which ends with the plane crashing. Oh, really? Uh, really? Yeah, weird, right? We <laughs> censors. Yeah. Let us watch the scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. We should uh, we should move on. Sorry. We've done quite a lot. Oh, on this I fact. just want to say one more yeah. thing. So this Kenny G's real name is Kenneth Kenneth Gorlick. Kenneth Gorlick. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and I thought I'd check and see if I had anything on him in my files on my computer, and I didn't have anything on him, but I did have something on another Kenneth Gorlick. And this is... <laughs> that is a weird... Coincidence, yeah. isn't it? Kenneth J. Garlic, this is. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. He's a medic, and he wrote a paper called A Four-Letter Word in the Medical Literature. And he went through all medical literature looking for instances of the word fuck. Okay? He found 17 instances since the 1960s. Um, four were about a fungus called fuck. Two were, se two were sexual. Uh, and six were the author. Okay. What, and, what do you mean? As in the name of the author. Oh, right, sorry. So he wrote, okay. the most prolific single contributor was Dr. E. Fuck, whose four <laughs> German language publications on the malic acid metabolism of saccharolytices constitute a major contribution to the field. This may be about to change with the emergence of Dr. L. Fuck as a co-author <laughs> of a publication in 1999. So look That's out amazing. for those new fucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on to fact number three, and that is Chazinski. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> is it? Uh, my fact is that the two leading paleontologists of the 19th century used to destroy their fossil sites after excavating them so that their rival wasn't able to find anything on them. That's insane. Wow. And so, and these really were the two, by far and away, the leading paleontologists. So they were Edward Drinker Cope and Othniel Charles Marsh. Othniel. Othniel. Yep, yeah, that's right. That's his name. Strongly. Got a problem with that? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, ma'am. <laughs> uh, it's just a brilliant name. It's good. Yeah. So before they came along, there were nine species of dinosaur had been uh, discovered and named. And between the two of them, uh, by the time they both died, they'd named 136 species between them, including Whoa. all the ones you've heard of, all the big ones: Stegosaurus, Diplodocus, Tri. Ceratops, all those guys. Um, and they kind of liked each other at first. So they met in 1867 and they named species after one another. So a giant serpent from New Jersey was called <laughs> Mosasaurus copianus after Cope and vice versa. Yeah, but I'm not sure that was because they liked him because it yeah. actually is Cope anus. Copianus. Is it? Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. so I think that might have been an insult. Damn. <laughs> 
Couldn't you have been there to tell him? He thought they were best friends. I think this is why he was so upset. And dickheadosaurus? What is that? Uh... <laughs> um, so, relationship went sour when Cope showed off this fossil of an elasmosaurus um, at a big like showing of new fossils classic, he discovered. Classic faux pas. Yeah. <laughs> Not at the end yet. Uh, did that, put the head on the wrong end of it. And Marsh said, I think you put the head on the, on the tail. And Cope was like, no, I haven't. You know, you're wrong. And they called in the museum curator, the academy curator, who said, yeah, you put the head on the wrong end. And he was so humiliated by that, that Marsh wrote that after that, he's been my bitter enemy. Um, and it wow. was so extreme. They spent 25 years stealing each other's fossils. They both employed teams of sort of spies to go and jeopardize each other's sites. So they'd steal, <laughs> steal and break each other's fossils. Um, one of them, Marsh got into government so that he could withdraw funding from the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> there was this a constant exchange of letters where one would say, mm, some of my fossils are damaged and have disappeared. I know you're responsible. And the other one would write back going, uh, it's outrageous that you'd accuse me of that, but since you mentioned it, some of my fossils have gone <laughs> And it's just 25 years of this. Wow. It was called the Bone Wars. The Bone Wars. Oh, how, would, how would they destroy each other's... Sort of well, dynamite was how Marsh did it. Dynamite. Yeah. What, yeah. So they would just they would find their bit and then go. There may be lots more here, but I'm just gonna. Yeah, just in case there is. Or I think if they couldn't wow. carry stuff back, or if they they'd found the thing they needed to find. Um... They couldn't carry stuff back. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> well, that's all I can get. <laughs> <on> the, uh... <laughs> well, maybe they thought they would propel it back with the dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> um, I read that. On one occasion, their two teams of researchers even had a stone-throwing battle against each other. <laughs> they <laughs> hate throwing. Yeah, they wow. hated each other. It was throwing fossils at each other. Yeah. No, I think just stones. Oh, just stones. <laughs> yeah. And it was quite, even though they were obviously really successful, A, what are we missing that we could have? And B, it was quite damaging to their, like, how good they were at their work because they constantly rushed to have stuff published before the other person. And this is whence the Brontosaurus cock-up came about. <laughs> uh, so Marsh, Othniel Marsh, um, named the Apatosaurus, and then he thought he'd found a different dinosaur, and he named it the Brontosaurus, and that was a really catchy name because it means like thunder horse or something. And it turned <laughs> out wizard. that um, it wasn't a Brontosaurus; it was just another Apatosaurus. And uh. by that, and that was just because he'd sped it through because he was going, he must publish more papers then. And he won the Bone Wars in the end because he named eighty new species, and um, Cope only named fifty-six. I don't think there were that many winners no. in this, really, were there? I re- Ooh, I'm, the voice of moral I'm, authority <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> Who are you, my teacher? (laughs) When bones fight each other, nobody wins. I've I've read that they died. um, Uh, Yes, they they did. Dinosaurs. (laughs) Yeah, they've gone. I've got a great fact about that. That was your fact next week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so after Cope. Marsh, when he got into government, he devoted his... Yeah, as you say, he, dev- he made himself hugely powerful just so he could spite the other guy, but then he tried, to take, um, he tried to take Cope's fossils away from him, and that was his crucial misstep, because um, he said these were, these were found with government money and, and, and dug up with government money, therefore the government owns them, and we're going to take your collection away from you. But Cope proved that he paid for all of his own. And he had he the managed, receipts. Kept the receipts, right? He kept the receipts, <laughs> yeah. And he, he destroyed Marsh's reputation by showing that Marsh had behaved so unethically. So then Marsh lost his job in government, lost all his income, lost everything. Cope died 56 years old, penniless. Marsh died two years after that, and he had $186 left. You see, Anna, no winners. <laughs> <laughs> and also I've all learned the dinos- my lesson. The, the dinosaurs are all... They named 142 dinosaurs, but only 30... 
That two is true. Are actual? St- they're still dinosaurs. They got overexcited. A lot of them. Were, a lot of them were mistakes. They made what? 110 fake dinosaurs <laughs> and <laughs> rushed to beat the other guy. They're uh-huh. not fake. We just weren't as good at classifying species then. Yeah. yeah. Um. Cool dinosaur thing. Um. The most complete or one of the most complete fossils we have of a T-Rex was wrapped around and with its teeth embedded in the most complete fossil we have of a Triceratops. Wow. Oh, it's really, really cool. Wow. Um. So annoyingly, it went straight to Bonhams and they're trying to sell it for something. Like twelve, like ten million dollars or something. So they haven't got scientists yeah. in to verify. Was that quite but recently? Yeah, it was oh, last I year. I remember but it reading didn't that, go. and they were saying about how t- uh, T Rexes would have eaten them, and they would have like taken the head off like a tin opener kind of thing. Is that how? Because his teeth were embedded Apparently. in its neck. The teeth had come yeah, out yeah, yeah. of the T Rex and were in this. So that was a theory the that they would just cut around the neck and yeah. then take the head off and eat the inside. So then it was know. doing this, and there was an earthquake, they think, and which caused um, sand to fall on top of them, and they sort of sunk into the sinking sand, and they were forever. For 60 million years, they've been embraced. As if it wasn't exciting enough with dinosaurs fighting, then there was an earthquake. Ah, <laughs> that's amazing. That's incredible. You don't get that kind of entertainment anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, I read the very first dinosaur bone that was ever found uh, was, at the time, not thought to be a dinosaur bone. It was in retrospective, kind of looking at the drawings of the thing that was described, and it was a guy called Robert Plot. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, Robert Plot, he thought what he'd found was not a dinosaur, but a giant, which is incredible. <laughs> he, he thought he was looking at this bone, and he was like, this must be a giant man. Wow. And, and so he told everyone that that's what he thought it was. Yeah, it was actually, um, it was a top of the thigh bone. Um, because of the shape of the top of the thigh bone of a dinosaur, it's quite hard to imagine that, but because of its shape, um, they called it scrotum humanum. Uh, because yeah. it looked like a giant oh. scrotum. And the thing is that they... Giant balls. <laughs> <laughs> is that what he thought it was? Uh, that wasn't him. That in. was Richard Brooks who thought that. But he came a little bit later. He, he thought it was a giant, um, like an elephant or something like that. Right. But then they came along, called it scrotum humanum. And then they realized it was a megalosaurus bone. But according to the rules of nomenclature, uh, they should keep the first thing that it was called. So the megalosaurus should really be called scrotum humanum. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. The, the, so the thing I really liked about this guy, though, Robert Plot, um, he was quite an influential character back in the day uh, when it came to science and, and classifying things and pushing forward ideas. Um, he also wrote about, and I'd not heard about this until today when I was looking into him, he wrote about the first ever noted double sunset what? Yeah, uh, double. Yeah. Su- have you heard about this? Okay, yeah. so he noticed it in Leek, which I've not heard of either. I don't <laughs> no, know what that is. No, it's famous for it. I think if you're fro- if you're from anywhere near Leek, like they're known for their double sunsets. They're known sunsets. for their double sunsets. Yeah, it's amazing. What no, is it then? No, no, I don't. No, no, it's a real <laughs> thing. It's a real thing. It's it's just where the contours of the Earth are aligned such that when the sun sets on a certain day of the year, I think it's on the solstice, um, it looks like it sets over one hill, and then because of the distance a certain hill behind it is, it rises up again and sets again. It's, just look at it on YouTube. I'm. It's a real <laughs> phenomenon. It's, yeah, yeah. It's That's a double. A, sun. It's not magic. It's just the angle yeah. of the sun compared to the mountains. And it's in mountains. England. It's a double sunset. It's really. Exciting. It's pretty it's really great. Cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, another thing, just on rivalries that I really like, is that um, I, I, there's so much. Action academic warfare that goes on it's yeah. not just with the dinosaur hunters um you look through any bit of history up until now i tweeted once saying where does outer space begin and that sparked a huge debate on twitter for ages where no one knew where outer space technically began uh, so i love collecting these little things and i found this thing that the uh, the first mobile phone call ever placed was in april the third uh, on april the third 1973 there was a guy called M- martin cooper he invented it uh and uh <laughs> he basically worked for motorola and his very first phone call 
when he was like, we've made the mobile phone, let's do this. His very first phone call was to the rivals at AT&T to say oh. that they've got oh. there first. Oh. How cool is that? Uh. He called them and went, we got there, suckers. <laughs> Bye! And hung up. That was the very first mobile phone call ever made, 1973. Wow. Um, we need to move on, by the way. Mm. Uh, oh, okay. should we just quickly talk yeah, about yeah. what a bastard Edison was? Go for it, yeah. Uh, what? So <laughs> it's about bloody time. I think it is. So, obviously, uh, Edison is credited with a great deal. He was a propaganda maestro, um, and he came up with DC current, while Tesla was coming up with AC current, which is what is used m most mostly around the world now because it's much more useful. It travels longer distances, etc. But Edison waged such a strong campaign against Tesla and against AC current to the extent that he wrote to the uh, Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals in the US and asked them to send him a bunch of dogs, cats, sheep, horses, and elephants to electrocute using AC current to prove that it was dangerous and the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Society said, yes, of course, here you have some animals. <laughs> feel, feel free to electrocute them at your convenience. And, uh, They're and not really that. doing their job, are they? He did that in public. Something was going on there. Yeah, I think and it was he electrocuted Topsy the elephant. He electrocuted Topsy, yeah. which is the, just the most traumatic thing. So Topsy was um, a circus elephant who basically she oh. killed one guy who poked her in the face or something. And so she was supposed to be hanged, as elephants tended to be when they were yeah. executed. Hanged? They, ha yeah, they, used to hang, they used to hang elephants. What? Best way to do it. It's not the best way to do it. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> This is a source of a lot of contention in the QI office. Cue the Kenny G song. Yeah. <laughs> under, under normal circumstances, we would have cut that bit out. But we <laughs> it's live. I've just admitted to hanging elephants. <laughs> okay, time to move on to our final fact. <laughs> Andy Murray. Uh, my fact is that um, Mozilla Firefox translates its uh, computer systems into hundreds of different languages, um, but lots of the metaphors don't translate. So things like cookies or files or, or mouse, things like that. So in Senegal, in the Fula language, a computer crash is known as a hookie, which means a cow falling over but not dying. <laughs> Isn't that good? And they, they have all, kind, all of these things. They're translating them using local idioms and local um, languages. So a timeout is a honama, which means your fish has gone away. <laughs> um, and I don't really get this one, but aspect ratio me is translated as Jean Donderal, which is a rebuke from elders when a fishing net is wrongly woven. You don't get that? I don't know. Do you know what aspect ratio is? Not really. No. <laughs> I'm thinking about it now, I do get it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's quite good. It's kind of like a fishing net, isn't it? When it's wrongly woven. I, I'm bluffing. I still don't know what it is. <laughs> Never mind. I do like it when, yeah, so when, when um, interesting linguistic metaphors, I guess. And I think we might have been more fun with them in, in the olden days. So in the 1800s, they referred to ducks or any birds with feet quite close to their bums as arse feet. <laughs> and if you read like um, natural science journals and stuff, they'll say the uh, the arse foot duck present here, or the arse foot present here was. Wasn't the grebe formerly known as an arse foot? It would have been, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. grebe. Which one is known as a wind fucker? That's a <laughs> kestrel, kestrel, or yeah. a kite, yeah, yeah. because yeah. they stay hovering against the wind. Yeah. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> so um, computer words in Hawaiian, the word for computer literally means electric brain. That's um, cool. Lolo Uila, yeah. yeah. And in Iceland, the computer is known as a tulva, which means number prophetess. 
Oh, that's good, isn't it? That's yeah, really that's nice. Good. I like it's a female as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. And um, they, their old <laughs> standard. <laughs> their old word for a pager was oh, I can't pronounce that. Um, Frithfjörður, which means thief of the peace. Which wow, is mm-hmm. that's good, though, isn't it? <laughs> that's incredible. Um, yeah, so speaking of women and computers, first person to write computer code was a woman, right? Who I think yeah. we've talked about. Yeah. She's here tonight. Um. <laughs> Welcome to the stage, the 150-year-old. <laughs> come up. Uh, Ada Lovelace, or Lovelace, I never know how to say it. By- By- Byron's it daughter. Byron's daughter. Yeah. Byron's only legitimate daughter. Although she was never allowed to see him because, her, understandably, her mum hated him so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, she, was, oh, so she, she, she wrote the world's first computer code um, in 1842 and it was because she worked with Charles Babbage didn't she who made the analytical engine is that what it was called yeah Um, and it wasn't called a computer because originally computers were people who did sums yes you would say I'll just go and turn on the computer (laughs) no you wouldn't say (laughs) (laughs) that's too wrong in too many ways (laughs) (laughs) my mum always you know parents have like really lame jokes they do your whole life and whenever you say to her could you turn on the lights please she starts flirting with the light switch <laughs> well, I think everyone here has shown that's not a lame joke, actually. Adam. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. She'll be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> the first search engine was called Archie. Oh. Was it? Oh, yeah. yeah. And so it was set up by this guy called Alan Emtage. Uh, it was in the 80s, in 1983. And he was Barbadian, or, or Bayesian, whatever, whichever we're going to call it. And uh, yeah, so he set up this search engine. He did computer science. And it was called Archie. And because I think like comic book fans overlap quite a lot with computer geek people sometimes and so everyone assumed it was named after Archie the comic book guy and so eventually he did an interview where he came out and he said it's not named after Archie it's named after Archive and I took the V out Archie the comics are the most insipid thing I've ever read (laughs) he was not invited back to Comic Con the next year was he Um, anyway he hasn't owned a computer since 1983 they probably haven't let him have one. It's so rude about their nice car too. <laughs> um, the, the word bug supposedly was coined in 1946 when a lady called Grace Hopper uh, found a moth trapped in a relay at Harvard University and she, she freed the moth and then she taped it into a book, but still. Uh, the, the computer then worked again and that's where people thought uh, we got the word bug from, but it's not true. It's oh. been in use since at least the 1870s. Oh, wow. However, she is amazing. She is a, not only a great computer scientist, she was also a US Navy Rear Admiral. Wow, she's cool. badass. There are photos of this little when old lady in an, enor- in an enormous rack of medals on her chest, and wow. you know she's got the naval, proper naval admiral hat. Amazing, yeah. In, very the, w- cool. in the what year? Uh, f- she died in about 1980 or 1990. Um, so in the mid sort of 40s, 50s, 60s was when she was in her admiral and computer heyday. Cool. Right. Yeah, oh. look her up, Grace Hopper. Very cool. Brilliant. I was looking at language because of the language part of the fact. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was looking at the language of Vanuatu, which is called Bislama. And this was brought to the islands by sailors, so they're a bit, you know, a bit racy, the, um, the words. And a lot of their words have the word shit in them. Oh, their right. word for shit is sit. So sit belong fire is ash. So it's the shit oh. which is left over after a fire's burnt, which is quite okay. good. Sensible. Uh, sit water, obviously, is diarrhea. Mm. Um, <laughs> and sit belong spider is... Spider shit. A spider web. Oh, I fell into that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I spent all afternoon looking at Vanuatu. Basically. Go, go on, what have you yeah. found? Uh, I found that they have pseudo-hermaphroditic pigs on the island. And these are 
the pigs that they've uh, bred and bred and bred to have less and less testosterone so their penises have got smaller and smaller and smaller and now you can't even tell they have penises and they're pseudo hermaphrodites and they're so precious on the island that they're used as currency so they use pseudo hermaphroditic wow, pigs wow. as currency which is the best sentence I've ever heard <laughs> <laughs> Do they carry it around in wallets? No, it's just like owning it, and then you would, if you wanted to buy a Take house and you had ten of these, you would like pass agents. it over. Yeah. I think they use tusks as currency as well. So it takes seven years for a tusk to grow in a full circle. At which point, it is valuable uh, after the pig it's removed from the pig, obviously, or taken. But if it and if you get a double tusker, that's fourteen years worth of accumulated money. So that's how they calculate wow. what's worth more. Um, I was looking at language as well, and um, so fun words that exist in other languages that we don't have words for in English that oh, I yeah. think we should. Um, so I think my favourites are, um, which one? Uh, Jayus or Yayus in Indonesian is a joke so unfunny that you have to laugh at it, which is weird that that, yeah. That's my next Edinburgh show title if anyone wants to <laughs> come along. Um, Mangata in Sweden is, it literally means moon street. So it's guessable, actually, but it's the... Do you know what it is? No. <laughs> it's the... So when the moon's reflecting over a lake, it's the oh, reflection of lovely. the moon that looks like a road. Oh, um, nice. And then sobre mesa in Spanish is the time spent in conversation after a meal, and it literally means after the, uh, over the table. But I really like mm. that because that turns it into an activity that's then kind of justified in spending six hours doing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sobre mesa, postponing the washing up. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> the, the word uh, this is a great. It's a Swiss word, and it's altus und hinterlassene Versicherung, uh, and it's the Swiss word for a pension. And they just say AHV, but what it means is old age and survivors insurance. <laughs> <laughs> How cool is that? Okay, just one more thing about Senegal, because uh, that was yeah, his, the original his, fact. The original fact yeah. all the way back was about Senegal. The main language in Senegal is Wolof. And uh, the Wolof language doesn't really have um, words for colours. Uh, it does have them, but they don't use them. So they don't have the word for blue and orange and red. They use the French. Uh, but they do have lots of words for shades of grey. Loads and loads and loads. <laughs> no, no, really. Like, How many? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we don't know? I don't know. Um. The reason they have so many shades of grey is because of their caste system, because the shade of your skin matters so much to them that the different shades between black and white are really, really oh, important really? to them. And that's why they have so many shades wow. of grey. And the good thing about it is if you're a person who does a lot of art with pencils, especially uh, in Africa, they use all these different shades of grey when you're deciding how much you shade things in. So they are actually useful as well as... As well as a bit racist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited that you've mentioned Wolof because yeah. when I was reading about jazz, it's in the Wolof <laughs> language that they think uh, the word hip comes from. What? And it's a word in, in the Wolof language called hepicat. And obviously, so it's like black, a black culture uh -huh. thing, jazz. And so they think hip comes from hepicat. And then a bunch of other etymologists think that that's rubbish and that's just sort of post hoc rationalization. And they say there's no actual evidence that it comes from hepicat. And so apparently, among etymologists, instead of saying to cry wolf you say to cry wolof and this oh. is etymologist banter oh. <laughs> you know, to That's cry good. wolof <laughs> start using it guys <laughs> okay that's it. That's all our facts. Uh, thanks so much, everyone, for listening to this show. Uh, we'll be back again next week with another episode. But if you want to get in contact with us, uh, if you're listening to this right now, uh, you can get us on our Twitter accounts. We have a main account, which is at QI Podcast on Twitter, but you can get us individually. I'm on at Schreiberland. Andy? At Andrew Hunter M. James? At Egg Shaped. Jasinski? 
can email podcast at qi.com. And uh, yeah, we're going to be back again next week. This was our first live show. We may do it again. I don't know. Uh, Thanks everyone in the room for putting up with it. Uh, Thanks very much for coming. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be back again next week with another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish. Thank you so much. Good night. (laughs) 